Hello, and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign setting in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. And my name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor. <sighs> Benjamin, I, I, I missed my coffee this morning. I woke up and, and I just, I'm just so groggy. And I had I didn't drink any I didn't drink my coffee this morning. You ever done that? I have, yeah. I have kids, so I I bring it up because sometimes I feel like like when I wake up I'm just still dead. I'm still dead asleep, and I could right. really use a spell to get me going in the morning. Well, depending upon how long ago you died, there are a variety of spells in D and D five e that could help out with that. A spell, you say? A spell and. We're going to be talking about them today. We're going to be primarily focusing our conversation around Raise Dead, but Raise Dead is kind of part of a series of spells, starting with Revivify, which is a third level spell, Raise Dead, which is a fifth level spell, then Resurrection and True Resurrection, which are seventh and ninth level spells, respectively. They all do basically the same thing, but with the biggest difference being that like you can be dead longer with the higher level spells. And I think that some of these require more or less material components as well. Is that right? Yes, they require increasingly more diamond to cast. Now, if, if I woke up and I needed a diamond every time I, I got out of bed, it would really mess up my whole budget. It's a lot of diamonds. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are definitely going to spend some time talking about that today. Well, let me run down the spell for us. Raise Dead is a 5th level necromancy spell available to bards, clerics, druids, and paladins. It takes an hour to cast, has a range of touch, and a duration of instantaneous. The spell text says, You return a dead creature you touch to life, provided that it's been dead no longer than 10 days. If the creature's soul is both willing and at liberty to rejoin the body, the creature returns to life with one hit point. This spell also neutralizes any poisons and cures non-magical diseases that affected the creature at the time it died. This spell doesn't, however, remove magical diseases, curses, or similar effects. If these aren't first removed prior to casting the spell, they take effect when the creature returns to life. The spell can't return an undead creature to life. This spell closes all mortal wounds, but it doesn't restore missing body parts. If the creature is lacking body parts or organs integral for its survival, its head, for instance, <laughs> the most important organ, the spell automatically fails. Coming back from the dead is an ordeal. The target takes a negative four penalty to all attack rolls, saving throws, and ability checks. Every time the target finishes a long rest, the penalty is reduced by one until it disappears. Yeah, so before we started talking about the spell, I mentioned the primary difference between uh, Raise Dead and the others are the length of time that a creature could be dead. So you heard at the top, provided that it's been dead no longer than 10 days. So Revivify, it's like, I think within the last minute the creature died. Resurrection, I think it's 100 years, and True Resurrection, 200 years. Wow. So that's the big change in the spells, apart from the 
diamond material component cost. In the last paragraph, where it talks about not restoring missing body parts, that actually changes also when you get up to resurrection, and especially true resurrection. It can give you back body parts, or even restore you without access to the body. What does that mean? With true resurrection, which is the ninth level spell... As long as you know of a person who died in the last 200 years, you can bring them back to life. That's intense. Pretty intense. Now, one really curious thing that I believe is an accidental oversight, but I'm not totally sure, is that Revivify, Resurrection, and True Resurrection all specify that they can't return a creature to life if they died of aging, of like growing old. Right. Interesting. But Raise Dead doesn't mention that. Yeah. So I assume that's... That's going to be an important... Well, I assume, yeah, I mean, I assume that's an error because it would be very weird if a ninth level spell can't bring somebody who died of old age back to life, but a fifth level spell can. Revivify says it also, that okay. the creature can't have died. So it's like, it's it's really consistent across this kind of family of spells apart from Raise Dead, which makes me think it was just accidentally left off because I just, I, I really don't understand why it would be a special case for this spell. Right. And I see that the spell also specifies remove magical disease. Lycanthropy is the one that I think of right off the bat. Do the others cure magical diseases? True resurrection does. I mean, every each one of these does basically starting from revivify and moving up. It not only increases the time scale, but also like kind of slightly improves the way in which you're brought back. The scope. Yeah, the scope of it. So true resurrection cures all diseases. I don't know off the top of my head if if resurrection cures magical diseases, but lesser restoration is like a second level spell, I think, maybe a third level spell. Right. And that that cures a disease without specifying whether it's magical or not. So if for some reason you're afflicted by a magical disease and you've got somebody who can cast raise dead, you probably know somebody who can cast... Uh, lesser restoration on you also makes sense you bring up gentle repose because it kind of changes the the 10 days thing doesn't it yeah yeah so raise dead says that the creature has to have been dead no longer than 10 days gentle repose last 10 days and basically while you're under the effect of gentle repose that time doesn't count for the purposes of raise dead or anything in the raise dead family of spells so if you had somebody with gentle repose presumably they could cast gentle repose on you like over and over again for years or decades or centuries and keep you eligible for raise dead even though you've actually been dead for like 150 years but you've been targeted by gentle repose so often that you're still eligible for that i think that's mostly like a stopgap thing for adventuring like you cast gentle repose and then you don't get totally screwed when you don't leave the dungeon immediately to go get your party member raised. You're halfway through the Mad Mage's madness, mad funhouse of dungeoneering, and can't go back. You don't even know where the exit is. So you just throw a little gentle repose on them, and, and everything's fine. Exactly. I mean, and that really, speaking of bringing back adventurers, that's pretty much the whole point of this spell at least in terms of why it's in dungeons and dragons the mechanic side it's it's a way for you to bring back your allies at a cost Mm -hmm. it's not just uh oh they had a twin 
sibling suddenly mm-hmm. and here they are and they're pretty much named the same and they have all the same skills you don't have to keep doing that that'll that old chestnut of uh bringing back your character you can just spend 500 gold pieces and get the diamond to bring back carl instead of his brother jarl you know clearly that's why it exists in the game is so that people can keep playing their beloved player characters they don't have to give them up when their character dies, there's just kind of a probably maybe a quest of some kind to go on to get the loot necessary to bring you back to life. Or possibly you, your party chooses to expend resources it happens to have to, to bring you back to life. The fact that this essentially just attaches a monetary value to life, to returning to life, means that every wealthy character in the game can just pay to be brought back to life whenever they want whenever they want they got it in reserve i'm gonna assume for the purposes of this episode that raise dead is not meant to exclude the aging clause because if it is meant to exclude the aging clause then all of a sudden you have like truly ancient wealthy people walking around because they can just keep on paying 500 gold pieces they're not even vampires or anything right they're just they're just douchebags. When I dug in and I started to think about what's the implications to your setting with a spell and its spell family existing, the the first thing I thought is that wealthy people are just going to keep spellcasters like this on retainer. On previous episodes, we've talked about how people capable of casting fifth level spells must exist in reasonably high numbers because of some other spells that are that level that we know get cast regularly. We know that Revivify and Raise Dead, at least, there's there's a decent number of people in any major settlement that can cast those spells. They're just there on hand. They're in the court. They're right. just on a, a moment's notice can uh, bust one of these out. So wealthy people, nobles, merchants, high-ranking people in the military, probably all have somebody who can cast Revivify and Gentle Repose on them. I kept thinking through that and I thought well then you get to this situation where there's a race to snap up everybody capable of casting those spells so that you've at least always got one person close to you at all times who can cast the spell then I what I thought of was that it ultimately would make sense for there to be some kind of like life insurance package or like an <laughs> institution that basically manages life insurance where nobles merchants whoever can buy in to this business and as a consequence of buying in they're given this they're given an apprentice who can cast gentle repose on them if they die i could see followers of uh, the deity joaquin the goddess of commerce and the market and things that like the way they worship their deity is by running insurance companies (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny because it's kind of gets into this situation where like the god of commerce and the god of the dead have like a direct yeah relationship relationship uh, or like yeah or conflict yeah exactly so this insurance company takes your money they lease you an apprentice that can cast gentle repose on you and then in the event that you die you're brought back to life and then your insurance premiums go up and you can continue the service. But yeah, basically, I mean, you know, you don't need to be brought back to life right there. So 
as long as there's somebody around who can cast gentle repose on you so that you can be raised dead or whatever else later, you're all good. I'm thinking that their claim suggestors would be the paladins, so you, you couldn't mess with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they come to collect. You can't pay them? Here come the, here come the paladins, the insurance paladins. <laughs> I... <laughs> I love. I really like that idea, and I'm trying to think of like what paladin oath that makes sense for. You, I mean, you might need to write a new the oath of the insurer, or the oath <laughs> of the insured, or something. I think if it's a a lawful paladin, somebody who follows the laws of their deity, right? Mm-hmm. So is there is there one that yeah. I don't know I all, like, the, yeah, all the I feel, paladin. I, I feel like yeah, I feel like there should be an oath of the insured where they both pledge to recover the body of people properly insured or collect on people who I don't even know how you would defraud this insurance company because like <laughs> if you hadn't paid up, they just wouldn't bring you back from the dead if you died. Maybe maybe devotion, huh? They're just devoted to their god. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. I know that we played with somebody who was a paladin who worshipped the the word of law and their weapon was a giant book. It was one of the lawyers that we played with. Because a lot of this relies on diamonds, diamonds become much, much more important. Not only getting diamonds, but controlling the diamonds, right? So this is really important, is that if there's a whole industry now that relies on diamonds to produce their business outcome, I guess, product, uh, which is bringing you back from the dead, and it requires diamonds, then that industry is going to need people who can acquire diamonds. So one way to really dig this into whatever your current campaign setting is, is to have this industry hiring adventurers to go out and either scout for diamond mines or clear out wild places where diamonds are suspected or known to be. Growing on trees. Diamonds growing on trees. I'm sure in certain parts of the Feywild, diamonds do grow on trees. Heck yeah. That's kick-ass. Hey everybody, Dane here, just wanting to say thank you for all the support you've given us through your downloads, your messages, tweets, and of course sharing the show with others. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow, along with you rating and reviewing Dispel Magic on whatever podcasting app you use. Benjamin and I would also like to invite you to pledge to our Patreon. You can vote there on future shows, receive weekly show notes, access monthly secret shows, and gain access to our patron-only Discord channel. Thanks again for listening, and as always, happy spelling. I know that we generally go very capitalistic with our wild imagination wanderings, making in- incredibly scary corporations. But this one makes me think that perhaps a tyrannical king, in that situation, generally the king's the richest, right? So they would have a leg up on whatever industry, whatever insurance company might pop up. So I feel like the king becomes the immortal one in that situation. And then whatever nobles are within his favor, he doles out the diamonds in that situation. 
it it becomes a a life dealer and and just with such an iron grip on the diamond trade you know and with spells like locate object being able to locate those oh, wow. diamonds yeah. it makes it so that everything is highly scrutinized and highly controlled so that nobody but the king and who the king wants can live forever yeah that no i mean the you made a few really good points i mean the first is that for sure instead of like a business this could be like the monarchy could just take over this for thousands of years yeah this this idea of who gets to live and and who has to die or or remain dead and i had not i was wondering actually that I, or i was thinking well, as i was working on this episode that people would probably create a spell that allows them to detect diamonds but you're right locate object uh, does allow you to to find to find diamonds so maybe there maybe there would be cause to create a, a slightly lower level spell that just does that but regardless there's a spell already in D&D that does let you find diamonds and so you really don't need to like hunting for diamond mines becomes a lot easier at least in that you can just kind of walk around the surface of the earth pinging and looking for them yeah i feel like locate object is cut diamonds and locate object i i don't think is is like object as in a a vein of gold perhaps like uh, that that doesn't seem in the spirit of the spell gold ingot maybe and and cut diamond maybe I think you could say raw gold, just like I think Can you could you? say, yeah, I think you could say raw gold, just like you could say raw diamonds, raw okay. diamonds. I mean, it's only within a thousand feet, so you're going to need to like re- repetitively cast this spell as you wander around. You, you get know. these surveyors of the crown going around and that that's another adventure hook, isn't it? Yeah, the, exactly. The yeah. ruler needs diamonds. Go forth. Is there a creature that smells or eats raw minerals? There, I don't is, know for a fact. There might be an bullets. Ooze. There might be an ooze. I don't know if bullet. I don't think bullets do. Because if there was, <laughs> right? Yeah, those would be enemy number public enemy number one. Zorns, Zorns eat minerals. <laughs> all right. I don't know if Zorns are all that common. So you might be. No. They might be relatively safe in that respect. Yeah, they come from the plane of Earth. Oh, okay. Anyway. Okay. But, uh, man, if you wanted to take down this tyrannical ruler, then you get a Zorn in their, their diamond stores, and you're, you're public enemy number yeah, one. Yeah, no, I, I like that idea of, like, the people have lived too long under this one monarch who just keeps being brought back to life when he's killed, and so out of desperation, people... Like some underground movement has summoned a Zorn into the area to eat all the diamonds so that the next time they're the like a rebels manage to kill the king, he actually stays dead for once. Yeah, it's happened so many times, so many false hopes. Yeah, we've mentioned already that these spells don't bring you back to life if you died of old age. So, this correct this basically means you're going to live as long as you would normally live. Now, there is a, a, a one workaround to that, which is that if you have a druid around or a bard who knows the spell, you could always just re- cast reincarnate to, to go into a new body, and then all of a sudden you've restarted your clock all over right. again. But for the most part, this kind of scheme does have an endpoint. It doesn't make you functionally immortal, because you will at some point die of old age. Wild stuff. 
until diamonds run out. <laughs> we talked uh, we talked a bit about how that affects diamonds in terms of their kind of who controls them or like who's looking for them and how they look for them. It it also got me thinking, you know, in in our world in in the west of the, I guess at least diamonds the first thing I think of when I think of diamond is like a wedding ring. Oh yeah. Diamond rings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in a, in a world where a diamond can bring someone back to life, I have a very hard time imagining them being used like as frivolously as in jewelry. No, no way. I mean, De Beers wasn't around to push that narrative in the fifties. So, right. <laughs> but I mean, so, so there's two, there's two ways this goes either. Yes. That that's accurate, and and people never create jewelry from diamonds because they're just too precious. It might even be seen as like a crime or a grave moral or spiritual sin to do that to like ruin a diamond by cutting Wearing it, it by cutting yeah exactly by cutting it down or or whatever using it as frivolous jewelry. So either that happens or the people who have the money to wear diamonds as a jewelry instead of using them for their utilitarian purpose are like the truly gaudy elite of the elite. I have, I'm just dripping with diamonds so much that like I've my, uh, there's plenty of stores. I'm going to stay alive for a hundred years. And now I'm wearing the extra on my person to just show off how much excess I have. And they're essentially immortal, so they don't care who right. what people think of them. Right. They'll outlast them all. <laughs> that put putting different social expectations into your game is always fun because uh you gotta really think outside of what your I don't know, your natural inclinations are, right? So suddenly having different signifiers of wealth and having right. different signifiers of class and prestige and all these expectations really f can be very immersive but it's also a trick to pull in your own head to continue that on without just going back to the rote expectations that right. you, that you would have i also think about when we're talking about these material components we brought up in our first secret show about the college of creation bards mm-hmm so what level would a College of Creation bard have to be to get a suitable diamond? They can make a item that can't be more than 20 times their bard level. So what's the minimum level bard to get a diamond that works this way? Well, so Revivify is 300 GP. So 15? Level 15? 15 for Revivify only. And one thing that's kind of weird about this family of spells is that revivify is diamonds worth up to 300 gp so it's any number of diamonds up to 300 gp oh wow so you, but, you can have multiple diamonds yes but raised dead and higher all have to be a single diamond worth that amount mm. worth that amount or higher so revivify is much easier to get the material components together for than Raise Dead, Resurrection, and True Resurrection. You've got even a third level College of Creation Bard. You've got a discount on the amount of diamonds you need to have to cast Revivify. If you can't reach that 500 GP total, then it doesn't matter that they can create diamonds because they can't create a diamond and that's valuable enough for Raise Dead to work. Right. Do you think then people would just go to Revivify as the go-to since it's 
easier to get the material components for? Well, for sure, people are going to prefer to use Revivify because it's also the cheapest. And so if I'm on the hook for the material components, I'm always going to be hoping to use the cheapest one. But the thing is that you have to revivify somebody within a minute of them dying. Raise Dead is within 10 days. True. So, so Raise Dead, Revivify is you've got to have somebody pretty darn close to you at all times who can cast it. Raise Dead is as long as you live in a city where somebody can raise dead, they can walk over to your house the next day and bring you back to life. As long as you have somebody to tell them. Right. So you got to have loved ones. Right. Or the, you know, proper insurance. The proper insurance. Right. Right. (laughs) Very interesting. The natural next step when you've got a, a spell or a series of spells in this case that relies so much on a singular spell component is that especially one that's as game-changing as being brought back to life. The natural outcome of that is that any political power that has exclusive access to that component is going to wield outsized political and cultural leverage over its neighbors. Like the king, the, the immortal king. In that, When we were talking about that, we were talking about within the kingdom. Now we're talking about like if that king has uh, you know several diamond mines that he owns and they're being mined for him all of the neighboring countries are going to want access to that so it creates this pressure cooker situation where everybody is either going to want to access everybody's going to want to access those diamonds so then the question becomes are they accessing them through diplomacy through sabotage mm. or through outright war the great diamond wars honestly so i'm playing triangle strategy right now and there's like a lot of the conflict is around who has access to salt. And this, when I was thinking this through, I got big triangle strategy vibes. I was just like, yeah, everybody, every kingdom is Wants going to diamonds. want diamonds. And so anybody who has diamonds becomes a target of sustained diplomatic efforts to forge longstanding alliances to get access to that or invasions to take those diamond mines from them or whatever else but those almost very few things will matter more to the elite people of society than guaranteeing that they live the longest possible life even within your own kingdom the like kind of cultural and religious importance of diamonds you know they keep your leaders alive they keep your military alive it becomes paramount right yeah and so when i was thinking about that i was thinking well then then mining diamonds is probably considered kind of holy work. I don't know if it would be necessarily exclusive to priests, but it's probably like a very prestigious, prestigious position to be able to mine diamonds. And there's like a lot, there's, there would be a sense that you are close to the divine if you are mining diamonds, because you are providing the thing that separates life from death. That's a heavy responsibility to hold. So you'd have an entire, almost diamond cult. Yes. Yeah. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking like, whether or not there's a god of life and death in the setting, there for sure is a religion based around just acquiring diamonds to bring people back from the dead. And there would be a like, and the religious iconography of god, any god associated with life and death is going to necessarily include diamonds because those are the things needed 
to bring a person who's dead back to the land of the living. The ultimate power. Right. Yeah. And of course, their their prophet or their, you know, focal point would be Aladdin from Disney's Aladdin, who is, of course, the diamond in the rough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Big fan of that one, huh, Benjamin? <laughs> Big fan of Disney's Aladdin? Just a 30-year callback. I appreciate that. The the cost associated with a diamond is fascinating to me because it's a kind of arbitrary, maybe yeah. the word. Uh, yeah. Relative is another it's, word. It's not just diamonds, though. This is this is one of the ways in which D and D's already incoherent economy makes this really weird connection with the way magic works, in that like spells have material components that caught that require material components of a certain value to be expended. I think of um, Hero's Feast that needs a chalice, a jeweled chalice of X number of gold pieces. Or raised dead. Or requires a 500 GP diamond. And if, if we know this spell exists and I'm a merchant... Why wouldn't I charge 500 gold pieces for just any scrap of diamond? Because now that diamond's worth 500 gold pieces, so you can use it to raise Ted. Like, I've got this, like, sliver of a diamond, and I'm going to sell it for 500 gold pieces because then it's useful to raise Ted. It's completely arbitrary. It's completely unfair. I I feel like it's gamifying it. Like, I, I see what the the writers did for this, right? It's, it's sure. to motivate right. adventurers to get gold pieces so that they can buy these diamonds for it to be consumed. Cause you're not just going to be like, have a, have a bag of gold and turn that into life giving properties. It's very specific, but I would think that almost you'd want to codify this diamond in a different way rather than tie it to a gold piece amount you'd want to tie it to a more plot driven idea like a blessed diamond or like that's fine diamonds are rare and diamonds are hard to really come across in, in abundance so i get that concept but really just saying like a diamond that was carved under a full moon you know something something right. more narrative focused rather than 300 gold pieces cough it up yeah i i think the material components exist to kind of add a mythic component or a mythic flavor to spell casting you know you've got to collect these rare or odd ingredients but then when you assign a gold value to it it kind of flips back to not feeling very esoteric. Or, it's very utilitarian. It's yeah. very nuts and bolts. And just to really emphasize the point, it's it doesn't it's nonsensical. <laughs> like five hundred gold pieces of a, a diamond worth five hundred gold pieces is going to be totally different depending upon what part of the world you're in. If you're in a part of the world where there are no diamond mines, any diamond might be worth five hundred gold pieces. Whereas if you're in a place that's really lousy with diamonds lousy with diamonds maybe it takes a diamond the size of your head to be worth 500 gold pieces so i think it it totally makes sense from a game design standpoint to have used the the value 
as a kind of objective scale of things, but in it from an in-setting perspective, it it is totally nonsensical. If it's under any amount of scrutiny, right? It just <laughs> it really doesn't hold up. Completely collapses. So I I would I might in my future games require rather than a gold amount tied to these these important components make it tied to something more meaningful perhaps a diamond that was on the body of somebody who's already died something very specific something very like you said esoteric and magical although you can imagine to that that leading to gruesome things where like people like (laughs) put diamonds on you and then murder you so that they can use this diamond to raise dead later grizzly yeah but but (laughs) Yeah, I mean, your general point, I think, makes a lot of sense. I I don't know if D&D is the system to to do that with. It it would take a lot of additional effort, but (laughs) there's a lot to improve upon, at least in terms of how it's currently executed, how how spell components are currently executed. And I think we're going to be going through that quite a bit throughout these spells. But if you, the listener, have anything that you could improve on our conversation today, you can, of course, tweet us at DispelMagicPod on Twitter. Benjamin, where can people find you? You can find me at SterlingVermin on Twitter or at SterlingVermin.com on the internet. And you can find me on Twitter at DaneInDanger. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin, at SterlingVermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw.